0: Welcome back to the National Links Trust Podcast. In this episode, we welcome on Chuck Wilson, the CEO of Baby Grand Global and founder of Baby Grand Records. Chuck is a veteran in the entertainment industry, but he also has a passion for golf in Washington, D.C., having grown up playing the city's courses. Chuck's latest venture, Baby Grand Golf, is the title sponsor of the upcoming Baby Grand D.C. Classic, an AJGA event being held July 10th through 13th at East Potomac Golf Links that also benefits NLT. In this interview... Chuck details his background in the game of golf, his career in the entertainment industry, and his partnership with the AJGA and NLT through the DC Classic. Thanks to Chuck for joining us.
1: I'd like to welcome CEO of Baby Grand Global, Chuck Wilson, um, to the NLT podcast. Uh, it's a real pleasure to speak with Chuck, uh, someone I've, I I've just starting to get to know over the last few months, and his involvement uh, in founding and, and bringing the Baby Grand DC Classic to East Potomac in July. So uh, Chuck, thank you for joining us. We very really appreciate
2: it. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to, to, to be on the show and uh, and to be involved with the DC Classic.
1: You grew up in, in Rockville and played golf growing up. Tell us a little bit about playing golf in, in DC when you, were, when you were coming up.
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, um, my dad introduced me to the game, uh, very young, uh, he had, he had played D two basketball and, and after college, he's that was it for basketball and, and, and took up golf and just totally fell in love with it. And I ended up pretty much getting to know my dad on the golf course because that, you know, the weekends would come and that's he he'd just take me with him. So, um, I fell in love with it in turn, fell in love with it. And, um, Uh, got pretty serious, as serious as I could at that time. Um, and played, played high school golf at Rockville, uh, Rockville high school. Um, and, uh, and just through that process, I I ended up playing all the courses, uh, in, in the whole DMV area. And, And my dad had a real affection for, um, all the courses in DC. It was, it was kind of a, a change up, um, from the clubs that we play in Maryland. Right. Um, he played a lot at Washingtonian country club, uh, which had two courses, but at, at some point, I can't remember exactly when was diverted into houses and, and that, that disappeared. Um, but, uh, yeah, my dad would move around all the D the, the old DMZ and play different types of courses. And he had a real affection for, for, um, all the courses in DC. I think for obvious reasons, I can get into that if you want me to, but I think your listeners definitely would understand why. Um, and, uh, and so that's a part of uh, who I am as well, just that whole experience. Additionally, um, after Washingtonian closed, I ended up working at, at Redgate Golf Course um, in, in Rockville. Uh, and I would worked there, practice there. Um, and then a lot of my friends from high school would come over there and practice as well. So that was another golf-related experience. And then I also caddied um, all over, but primarily at Chevy Chase Country Club, which was another another great experience for me just being on that side of things um and the people I met and the and the kind of the juxt- juxtaposition between the members and the and the caddies, which um and the caddy shack culture at that time was so beautiful and, and amazing and unique. So um that was my childhood. And then my friends, my best friend went to Landon and he played golf. Um I will say at that time, um we were just we just loved the game, but we didn't realize how kind of rare it was for, for two you know, African-American kids to run around, be running around all over the DMV playing courses and, and, and all that. And, and, and it was a beautiful time. This is pre-Tiger Woods now. Even being on the golf team, um, you know my coach, Herb Dumas who passed away, but he had a huge influence on my life. And uh, I just have this memory of just at some tournament, he pulled me aside and said, hey, we've got to kind of handle this this way. And that was his way of saying, you know, it's going to be a little awkward here um, because they're not the many black people that, 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 that play this course. So, um, but that was my experience in D.C., I, in, in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, moving around all those courses. And, uh, and, the, and, and so, you know, just to connect it back to the, uh, you know, the D.C. courses, it, it, just, it just had a profound impact on me. Um, uh, those courses had an, a, a profound impact on me um, growing up.
1: And, and this would have been the, the late 70s or early mid-80s, that, that time period?
2: This would have been – yeah, exactly, exactly. More towards the, the mid-80s uh, early 80s when I could actually go there myself. But, yeah, the 70s,
1: right. I was quite – yeah, that late 70s, early 80s to,
2: you know – So um, I, I, don't, I don't –
1: Personally, coming from you know a few years younger than you, I would love to you know what what were your impressions of what what, what, what did you observe? What, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would would love to hear what those courses were like in the in the mid '80s.
2: Yeah, I actually you know I'm not going to go into it too much, but I actually wrote a movie script about that culture uh, and tried to get Sam Samuel L. Jackson to produce it. Um, I'll, I, I can talk about that more if you want later. But to, to get to your point, yeah, the culture was. Um, you know, at a young age, I really felt and and sensed that like the culture was unique because you had, um, so many, uh I should say, you had you had several or multiple, I, I guess, classes of people and and races of people, um, uh, coming together to play golf, and there was a certain, um, uh, I don't know, everyone kind of let their guard down because they're on a golf course, if that makes sense. So. There was a certain—I hate to use the word tolerance—but um, um, there's just a certain chemistry that developed on the, on those you know culturally on those courses because everyone was like, "Hey, we're here to play golf," and they knew that you know there'd be you know the, the black folks that were there were were you know they had their own culture. It might include anything from you know um, gambling on the course to maybe even. Um, gambling, throwing dice, to uh playing music in the parking lot, things like that. There was a, there was a there was a more. I'll just use the word flamboyant culture amongst the black folks that would attend the course, but there were there was also a chemistry there, um, for you know with 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 the white folks that lived in DC um, that played golf and and you know they got along and and they. Um I'd say they overlap to a degree. I mean the white folks that went there that you know they they um interacted with the black folks that played in the cultures it, it, everyone let their guard down and kind of um um from from a golf standpoint integrated their their lives on the course played together gambled together when I say gambled i mean gambled on the course that's just that's just part of part of golf culture generally, but it's definitely more prevalent at courses where you know um i think where where black golfers are um are um, large in number, so um, and it was beautiful. That's that's what I mean. And then and then you know of course it's it's not as it, it's just not as stiff as a country club, you know. Um, and I think uh, that allows for a lot more um, culture, unique culture, and personality to come through, and 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 even style um, of dress um, from people that are stylish. You know, black people in DC had had some money too, so you had a certain style that's in the. It, you know, kind of in the, in the vein of traditional golf style. Um, and then you had people that were not as wealthy and um, still love the game and, and still had their own style may not have been appropriate at, you know, at, at a country club, but it still worked. So it was just unique in all, in all those ways. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great to hear. And, you know, um, you know, I think it's, it's part of what, why people connect with the courses now is that they understand that there's these layers and layers of history, and decades and decades uh, different cultures that have bumped up against each other and learned from each other. And uh, yeah, I really do think it's, it's part of what makes the, the fabric of these courses so, so, so important and so special. So um, uh, oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I'd
2: like to, if I could add one other thing that you just, you just kind of remind me of, there was also the, or the, the kind of the, the oral tradition and the teaching of the game that occurred at these courses. Um, Cause you know, a lot of folks couldn't afford lessons. And so you had the, one of the things I love about golf is just the older generation is teaching the younger generation. So you see that as well. And you see that cross-culturally and, um, you know, uh, just you know, people teaching each other the game, um, you know, one, one-on-one, uh, as opposed to taking a lesson, um, from a pro. Um, so that, that's, that's, that, and then, uh, one other thing, just the discussions and the, again, the oral history of African-Americans in golf. You could hear these things discussed all the time, and uh, and you're talking about the era of the of the you know the UGA United Golf Association and that whole circuit, and and all the names were were discussed all the time. Some of which I I, I remembered and later did my own research on, and it, and that was part of the, the screenplay I wrote. So yeah, I just wanted to add that in. I kind of dealt with kind of the flamboyant side, but there's definitely a a certain certain history you get by being on those courses. Uh, you would get like being on those courses, and also um, the teaching aspect that would occur.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, you went on from, from DC to UVA. You spent a good deal of time there. You got your, uh, undergrad degree, your, your MBA, your, your, uh, law degree. Uh, um, uh, but at the same time, you were also interested in getting into, into film. I did a, a, a summer program at NYU and then di- dived into that world. Um, I don't want to gloss over all your academic accomplishments, but, uh, you know, you've had a since then. You've had a long, a long, successful career in in uh, in film, music, and television. Um, but I, you've, you've referenced it a couple of times. Your screenplay that you you wrote about about sort of golf culture, uh, black golf culture, and and uh, tell tell us a little bit about that because it's something I you know I wish I wish it had been made. I'm sure you sure you you do uh, much more than I do. But uh, yeah, love to hear more about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to, it really, it really encompassed everything I, I, I just kind of mentioned, but at, you know, it, it, it was, um, it was a very personal story really growing up in the DMV and, and, and talking about real characters that, that, that I had encountered, um, uh, on these courses and in caddy shacks and in the whole, the whole gamut of golf, you know, uh, in general. And, um, and and so I thought that I thought that yeah Samuel Jackson loves golf and and um, uh, I went to college with with one of his uh, relatives and 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 while he loved the script you know Sam is really it was too too small of a story for him at that time and he felt like um, he, you know he was kind of in bo- blockbuster mode and that's not to say he won't ever do anything you know smaller more indie film type stories he just he just felt like generally golf doesn't translate. It's difficult to make golf translate into a really, um, big film. Um, and so, uh, coincidentally, years later, I wrote another script. Um, and it was the first script that I sold, which was a golf comedy, um, uh, set in the Hamptons. Um, and so Danny DeVito bought that. That's the first time I'd ever sold the script. Um, and I was so excited about it. Um, it, it really, uh, it, was, it was an amazing script, so I kind of cha- pivoted to where, okay, let me go bigger with this, right, through, the, through, the, through comedy, and then work some of these things into the comedy, right, and it worked. Um, uh, so, so Danny's, Danny DeVito's company was called Jersey Films, and they made, you know, they had two, two films up next. One was called How High, which was made with Method Man um, and, and Red Man. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, and then uh, my film was next to going into production, and, and, and unfortunately, Danny and his partners fell out like right after uh, 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 they made How High, and so my my film ended up getting shelved in that process. So that was that was discouraging. Um, but I got back to work, and um, you know, while I was writing, yeah, while I was writing that script, I had had this idea for. Uh, 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 an airplane movie, and and that was made into Soul Plane, which I think I may have told you about. I'm not sure, but and that ended up really um, kind of becoming a classic, uh, and, and and people still very much talk about it today. So, that that was kind of my foray into film, and it started with my love for golf. That's
1: great. That's great. Um, and obviously, a lot of your career has been uh, involved in producing uh, music. Um, through baby grand records uh, and other avenues mm-hmm. um you you want to talk just briefly about that i'm not sure if there's much of a golf connection but it certainly tells people about who you are
2: yeah i mean you know the short of it is i, I learned i mean i knew in in grad school i i wanted to do um something in sports sports and or entertainment and so it was you know it was definitely a non traditional pathway but I, I did an internship at proserve which was at one time a sports agency which was at one time based in uh northern virginia um that was also hoping that i was hoping i might be able to do something with golf um i was not um at that time and and then i just dove right into entertainment um and started really um learning the the industry um on all sides and um when it was all said, I'm, I'm kind of just summarizing it for you, but when it was all said and done, music became the best point of entry for me into the into the industry. Um and, and where I actually had some had some talent in terms of um you know scouting uh, uh scouting talent when I was much younger. Um I have other people that do that now, but scouting talent and then also um just with my background in really running a company right and and understanding the the legal implications and then obviously you know what i've learned in business both running a business and then in school um and that has that has benefited me um been a great benefit in in everything that i've done so that's that's really the connection um but i oh i'll just say over that over that when i went jumped into entertainment through music um i ended up I'm sorry, when I jumped into entertainment before I kind of landed on music permanently, I mean, I was, I was doing, I was doing everything, you know, and, um, and, and really just like a sponge absorbing everything I could in film. Uh, I worked my, you know, I worked for Spike Lee for a while um, I, in music. I mean, sorry, uh, before, before starting my own company in music, I worked for Priority Records, a major label. Um, then I um, linked up with a, a company, a, an indie company in DC called D-Side Records um, and ended up working with them and signing a band that um, uh, that they had kind of been tracking, um, which led to me working at Priority Records, and then you know uh, then I worked at B T with Bob Johnson. So I really I really absorbed a lot and learned a lot about entertainment as a whole, and um, it's 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 worked out very well for me, um, and I'm I, I feel blessed to uh, blessed to be in a position to kind of share my success uh, with with other causes now.
0: Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about the Capital Club. The Capital Club is our annual giving program that supports pretty much everything we do here at National Links Trust. So that includes the ongoing work uh, that we're doing with the National Park Service at Rock Creek, Langston, East Potomac, um, our community-focused initiatives like the Jack Vardaman Workforce Development Program and Fridays on the Green, and then also some of the more national things that we are spearheading, um, including the Municipal Golf Network webinar program, as well as the Symposium on Municipal Golf. If you want to learn more about the Capital Club program, there's a link in the episode description uh, that you can click on and we'll bring you to our shop where you can learn more about our membership tiers um, and also should answer some questions about the gift benefits uh, that you get with each tier. We've partnered with uh, Jones and Seamus and a few other companies this year to to give our members uh, some really cool benefits to help you show off your support of NLT um, in, in a stylish way. So without further ado, let's get back to the episode.
1: Uh, and during all this time, were you were you still playing golf? Were you still connected to the game? Or uh,
2: yeah, great question. Go- I was, I was, con- yeah, it's a very good question. So I was connected to golf um, until I really settled in into New York. So I went to New York, came back to DC, right, and then around 2000 went to New York, uh, back to New York, and so when I went back to New York, really when I started my own company is when I had to, I, had, I didn't have as much time to play. Um, and it wasn't until my children were old enough and, and i started teaching them the game that I got back into it. Although I still had less time. I was on the golf course all the time with them. So I would work in my time to play. And, um, and now they're both teenagers and I'm able to play a lot more. And I'm really, really happy about that. <laughs> really, really enjoying, um, uh, being back into it, so
1: that's great. Um, and through and through that sort of renewed uh, passion for the game, and and your kids getting into it, and being serious uh, golfers and uh, you know golfers who aspire to play college golf and professional golf. Maybe um, you started Baby Grand Golf. I think last year is that did I have that right.
2: Yeah, twenty 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 two. You know, my father passed away, and I just had a lot of time to reflect and. Um, uh, and we had had some conversations at some point about um, getting involved with tournaments. They were very loose. This is before I had children. This was a long time ago. Um, and uh, and it was you know, it was around that time when I was writing scripts. And, and I talked to him about um, the UGA and, and just all those all those guys that were were playing back then. He I don't want to say he, he knew them, but I know he crossed crossed paths with. A lot of those players from Jim Thorpe, Chuck Thorpe, Thorpe, his brother, and um, uh, Lee Elder, all those players, he was in those circles. My dad was director of missions at Howard University um, for a while. And I think through that uh, experience, he met a lot of people. And so I never had a chance to really ask him, hey, did you know these guys well? Charlie Sifford and and Teddy Rhodes, did you know all these guys? I didn't really get that far with it because, of course, I was still young. But uh, I get the feeling. Um, I, got, I always got the feeling that like he was part of that. Like he was, he'd go to, um, uh, Langston. And, and if, if those guys were around, he knew, I got the feeling that he knew them, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's where it kind of started. And when my dad passed away, it, the, all this stuff kind of, you know, um, it just kind of, it, it just kind of comes back to you when you lose a parent and, and, you, and you think about really granular things. And I, and I just, I said, Hey, you know, I'm working with the kids. Uh, and then my dad's passed and I just said, I've got to, it's time. I've got to make some kind of commitment. And I have to give a lot of credit to, um, Patrick Plank at the AJGA, um, a very, um, a a guy that is very astute, but he also just, he he listens to people and really, really kind of listens to what drives people. And he caught that he caught this, uh, you know, that I, I'm very serious about golf and, and the game and, um, And uh, uh, he he reached out to me and and there was a, there's a tournament near, near where I um, play in in Westchester, New York. And, uh, and he asked me if I want to get involved and I I told him my story and got involved with that. And it's just been, um, it's just been great. And then this opportunity came about and and basically, as you can tell, I'm telling him everything I'm telling you today, this opportunity came up and he's like, I've got to tell Chuck about this. And instantly like, I want to do that, you know? So uh, I don't know if I've, went past your question, but yeah, that's no, no how, it's that's great. how this went.
1: Absolutely great. Um, you know, we can maybe come back to the, the Baby Grand DC Classic, but the overall mission of, of Baby Grand Golf, what, what are you hoping to accomplish through Baby, Baby Grand
2: Golf? Yeah, another great question. I, I'm, I, I This is not set up as a 5013C. I'm not, um, I'm literally putting, I literally just put the company up and said, hey, we're going to sponsor, we're going to start with sponsoring tournaments. Um, and uh, I added one dimension to it, which is because I've been more or less a content company for 20 years, I said, I'm going to ask one thing in return, which is just the ability to um, uh, create content, you know, around the tournament and, and, and create, tournament, create content or curate content from the tournament, right? And just because I, I really felt like, um, there's a really I thought that way at the time, but even more so now that there's just a a bit of a void there in terms of telling the stories of these young golfers, right? And really creating a connection with um, fans of golf, even though they're young. Um, and 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 we did this one time with the with the Mac Stamp Invitational, and I, and I can already see how that everyone saw that, and it's already changed the landscape. You know, everyone everyone is doing a lot more already, and and that's. That's it. That's what inspired the company. That's, that was what inspired the start of the company. Um, we've never made a penny, uh, to date. It's really just been about, um, telling the story like, um, and, and, and offering help where we can so that, um, uh, people, uh, have access to the game and, and, and people, people, where people need help, um, getting to tournaments. And then where tournaments need help just to function, to, to exist. So, um that, that I hope that evolves over time into something more, you know, maybe more structured. But I'm I'm happy it's it's just a year now and we're already having an impact and working with great organizations like yours and meeting so many great people. I feel I feel right at home in this space and I'm very, very proud of that already. Um so yeah, yeah I think no, that and, and, and telling I, I'd like to well, add one other thing and that's sure, you know. Golf tournaments are, can be amazing, and it can be an amazing experience for a day or two days or three days. I started to think about the fact, okay, we, you know, we might have, over the course of a tournament like this, we might have two, three, four, maybe five, max 500 people involved, including the players, parents, everyone. And I, and I felt like this, the energy at these tournaments and the experience, it wasn't being amplified to the world. And we have the internet now. We need to spend a little bit more time. I think you know, for all, for all devoted to amateur and junior golf, filling more time and resources, amplifying what we're doing so people can see it. And once we do that, more people will want to get involved and support junior and junior and amateur golf and municipal golf courses.
1: That's, that's really great. It's really well said. Um, we look forward to working with you in DC and uh, trying to accomplish that. Um, just real quick, you know, the AJGA is a great organization. What uh, attracted you to work with it? Um, now, as a, as a sponsor, but, you know, also, you know, as a, as a, as a father with kids who are, who are playing the AJGA, uh, and AJGA events. Like what, 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 really speaks to you about the AJGA? I think it's,
2: you know, I've worked with all the tours, the major tours, um, and they're all good in their own way and, and good, I'd say, for different reasons. The AJGA, first of all, they're extremely professional. Um, and as a parent, uh, it really, it really, we're already under a lot of stress with, you know, working with our children to get them (laughs) making sure everything is right for tournament day, et cetera. But, but they're so professional in the way they handle everything. Um, I think, I think that speaks volumes about the organization. Um, And, and then um, I think they're evolving, you know, as an African-American I'm, I'm, I watch with watch, you know, uh, or I've watched their, their evolution. And I think that they are evolving in terms of, you know, opening up to more people, more more people being involved, and 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 having or enabling the game to kind of really reflect everyone, you know, all humans, you know, and and I like that about the organization. And I've now met a lot of the people, and um, it feels it feels good. So, and then there's the prestige. I mean, the, the the legacy of the of the organization and the prestige of the players that have um, you know, that have come out of that 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 tour um, is it, it, exemplary. Um, it's it's just it's, it's amazing. So I really enjoy being associated with um, an organization like that. I feel honored to work with them. Um, and um, yeah, I think that I think that captures it thus far.
1: It's great. We're we're excited to work with with Baby Grand Golf and the AJGA event for uh, the event coming to DC here in just a couple of weeks uh, at East Potomac, the um, Baby Grand DC Classic. Uh, we can't thank you enough for your support of. Or- of, of that event and also National Links Trust. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and look forward to getting to spend some time with you here in D.C. Uh, in July.
2: Likewise, likewise. I'm, I'm really honored to work with, with, with National Links Trust um, to be back on a course my father loved and he really did love this course, um, and, um, and to be working with AJGA. I think, I think this, is, this first year is going to be great. I think it's going to um, evolve uh, in an amazing way as we,
1: as we grow. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate your time.
0: Thanks again to Chuck for joining us on this episode. If you want to learn more about the Baby Grand DC Classic or National Links Trust, there are links in this episode's description. Also, if you want to learn more about how to support NLT through Capital Club or donations, there are also links in the episode description. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.